Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Brandon Barnes, a fellow Investor Fuel member. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, RJ. How about yourself? Good, man. It's uh, good to catch up with you. Haven't haven't spoken too much to, to you with uh, since the last Investor Fuel meeting. So, uh, why don't you uh, start by introducing yourself and tell us uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you do in real estate. Sweet man. Yeah. So uh, again, my name is Brandon Barnes. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. We actively invest in Columbia, South Carolina, and Jackson, Mississippi, uh, primarily wholesalers for the last two years. And uh, since since the last Investor Fuel in May, we've kind of changed up a little bit, started doing some flipping and wholesaling as well. Um, but our primary focus, RJ and I talked about, is uh, rentals for us as our as our kind of goal. Cool, man. So let's. Uh, I always like to go back to the beginning and uh, let everybody kind of understand how you got started. So uh, when did you start and what kind of drove you towards real estate investing? Yeah, so uh, I started a really easy date for me to remember July 4th, 2016 was kind of my first uh, full-time uh, part into real estate. I, I kind of learned a little bit earlier, but the July 4th is kind of the start date. Um, what drove me to it, I actually bought my first property when I was 21 years old, bought a double wide in this little town called Utahville where I lived. And uh, back during the market cycle crash that we all went through, my family ended up losing everything. We lost our house, business, cars, like you name it, everything was gone. Um, but I still had my little podunk raggedy trailer that I lived in. And so when I left my town of Utahville, I sold it to a local family there who didn't have any credit, who didn't have any money, but could pay me a monthly payment. Little did I know that that was going to be what kind of triggered my thoughts into getting into real estate investing. And so I sold this property to a family with, uh, with two young kids. They paid me every month for six years. And towards the end of it, I ended up having my first kid, uh, Penelope and started thinking, you know, how do I get more of these monthly checks? You know, I was getting a, getting a nice check every month from this family. And I was like, man, it'd be really nice to have five, six, seven of these checks that I'm really not doing anything for. They just show up in my mailbox at the end of every month. And so I went through licensing school thinking I had to be a realtor to get into investing and have rentals, uh, ended up not going and pursuing actually becoming a realtor met my my business partner mentor Matthew Bell and uh, that kind of kind of got me started from there so it all started with a twenty thousand dollar double wide that I bought when I was 21 years old <laughs> that's awesome man so I know I was personally blown away at the last investor fuel mastermind um, you got up you know we all have our little hot seat presentations that we have to do. And I had no idea 
um, the amount of volume that you guys have been doing. So you started July 4th, 2016. Kind of go through the amount of volume that you guys have been able to achieve over the past couple of years. Yeah, so we, in the very beginning, we were, were in the beginning, I say blessed, and at the end, I say cursed, uh, <laughs> but blessed with an opportunity to work with uh, some institutional money and a hedge fund, and they really jump-started our, our ability to wholesale quickly. Um, so we ended up, the first two years in business, we ended up wholesaling over 300 homes, uh, primarily to them, but then to some other buyers, because you know, we had enough inventory that we could move it in other directions. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it kind of started off slowly, but but probably about halfway through 2016 or my start in 2016, so probably the end of the year, we were, we were averaging 10 to 12 deals a month with them pretty, pretty easily. Doing as many as 35 deals in a month uh, kind of started there. That's, so, that's crushing it, man. Yeah. So you have this set up with institutional money, like you said, a hedge fund, and and they're buying a significant amount of properties from you. Was it just in in Charleston and Jackson, or was it in other markets as well? So we we actually never did one in Charleston, believe it or not. So I lived here and never could could get one here in Charleston. Um, still to this day, that's a goal of mine to uh, to wholesale them one from Charleston. That's right. You live in Charleston, but you invest <laughs> in Columbia. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, but no. So we we did it primarily in the beginning. Our our main markets were Augusta, Georgia, and Columbia, South Carolina. But we ended up uh, wholesaling them homes in like seventeen different cities. Wow. Um, we did Indianapolis. We've done Kansas City. We've done St. Louis. We've done different parts of North Carolina, different parts of Alabama. Um, can't I think that. Might so be did, all the states that we've represented. Did they just come to you and say, hey, here's our buying criteria. Go find me properties. Or, or kind of how did that line up where you're able to go to all these different cities to find them properties? Well, so that was that was where my business partner and mentor kind of comes in. He was working for them uh, directly. And basically, they realized that they were not buying enough properties on the MLS. And they were they had more capital than they had the ability to spend. And so basically he fostered a relationship and said, if we can find you off market deals, can we be your sole provider of off market deals? And that was, and that was kind of how it started. And so they said, okay, here's our buy box. Um, we'll give you basically streamlined systems to get to us and sell us everything. So I work directly with head of acquisitions for the fund. Him and I talked every day. And um, and so basically we were, we were just part of them. And so that gave us the ability to source properties in any market. And we knew that if it fit their criteria, they bought it. That's and awesome. so we really built a system that, you know, I could tell you within five minutes if they would buy the deal or not. And so it allowed us to easily network with a bunch of wholesalers, so I had a really good wholesaler relationship in a whole bunch of cities and states and basically allowed wholesalers to just feed me their deals and and pass them along, you know, plus our direct marketing that we did to seller. Cool. So let's let's talk about like that process because I know sometimes with like selling to hedge funds, they like you said, the buy box. The buy box has some pretty strict criteria. 
Um, were they wanting any kind of inspection period or due diligence period, or were they buying without like a typical cash buyer, you know, non-refundable earnest money in that, or did they request an inspection period? So they, they did inspect every house, but it was just one inspection. Um, and so if I was working with a wholesaler, typically when they would make an offer, they would inspect it. But the minute that their final offer was in, it was a non-refundable earnest money. Gotcha. Um, they were they were pretty they were pretty easy to work with. Um, you know, I never had them back out of any deals. I never had them. Granted, they weren't always happy about some of the assignments they saw, but you know, never saw them not buy because of an assignment contract. And so they they for the most part they were they were pretty good on the institutional side. And I think what helped a lot was I myself and my team were the, were the kind of the cover to them. You know, I think had somebody just gone directly to the head of acquisitions and tried to sell them an assignment, they would have had some issues with it. But us being knowledgeable in that off-market space, we could kind of ease it, ease it through to them and not have any issues. Um, so let me ask you this, because I'm a huge advocate for doing double closes as a wholesaler. And I know I'm in the, the minority when it comes to this because almost everybody that I interview solely does assignments. Sometimes, I think like yesterday, I talked to a gentleman who said he does double closes if the profit margin exceeds like twenty to $25,000, which kind of my thought process on the double closes is that if that's just how we do things, um, my buyer never questions why one time I did an assignment and then the next time I do a double close. Did you ever contemplate doing a double close so they wouldn't see those assignments and how much money you were making just to keep the relationship, you know, peachy? <laughs> I There were definitely times that I recommended to wholesalers to double close a property. Um, and I would even fund their double closings uh, for them if they needed to, you know, I obviously would make some more money on it, but I would right. fund their double close for them so they could do it. Um, I, and it's funny that you bring that up. We had in our level 10 meeting yesterday, that was one of our topics was, should we double close more than, than just do an assignment? And we are actually starting to lean towards the double close, um, piece of it. And so I, I kind of guide that and, and not as much from hiding, the assignment or your profits, you know, you get a good deal. You deserve to get paid for it. Um, I like the idea of double closing because you control this. You control the, the, the aspect of everything that's going on. Yes. Um, we're really big on getting seller testimonies. Well, when I have to deal with an end buyer, you know, actually funding the deal, I'm closing on their schedule. You know, if they want to do it Tuesday at three or Thursday at whatever, and then it's kind of awkward. Why am I in the room with an end buyer and a seller and I'm getting the testimony? And so we've we're actually, you know, going along your lines and, and looking at probably just starting to double close everything. Right. And and I'll be honest with you, man, we double close everything that we wholesale. Um, I think total, like in my entire career, I've assigned like five contracts. Um, and the reason why is because it's just part of our system and exactly like you're talking about it, it's yes, it's a benefit to not let your end buyer know how much money you're making. But to be honest with you, 
if they really want to find out, they can find out. You know, even through a double close, they they can kind of backtrack and and go into public records and figure yep. it out. Um, but it goes further than that, like you said, control of the contract itself. Because you know, when you're wholesaling, you're not selling a property, right? You're selling a contract. Right. And so you control that contract. It also, like you said, makes your seller um, not. They're only dealing with you. And like you said, if you're in buyer for whatever reason doesn't perform at the timeline that you need them to, you still control that first contract. You can get it closed if you need to, and then, you know, close at a later date with your end buyer if that's necessary. Just across the board, I've found that it's more clean and people come out of the transaction a lot happier is just kind of my feeling. So I'm a huge advocate for the double close. Yes, it costs money. Um, but here in the state of Texas, we can do a pass-through. So we don't even have to bring funds. Um, the close from you know, my company to the end buyer actually funds the purchase from the original seller to Titanium. So um, it, that's not the case in all states. So uh, please do not think that's the case. But yeah. in, in some states, you can do a pass-through like that. So just you know, every now and then, I, I want to kind of dive in those topics that are a little bit more technical because I think it's important for people to kind of look outside of just assigning a contract, especially when you start doing volume like you're doing with one particular buyer. So let's talk about your business outside of working with them. You, you know, you're getting all these deals. You said you're working with other wholesalers, but you were doing some direct to seller marketing. What was the, the main source of marketing that you were doing? Yeah. So uh, we've actually gone, you know, a hundred percent or not mainly a hundred percent direct to seller. Now we still do some wholesaler stuff. Um, our, our big, uh, lead source is direct mail. That's kind of our, um, we're dialing it in every month, getting better with it, but that's our, our, uh, kind of go to lead generation source. And I love it. So when you're doing direct mail, because everybody says this nowadays, right? Everybody's like, I do direct mail. Some parts of direct mail are important, but the list itself is very important. So without giving away too much of your secrets, you know, what's a kind of a, a tip for a newer wholesaler that wants to get into this? What's one way that you think they could either go find a list or a particular list that you found successful in different markets? So I am a huge believer in the data is, is what matters. Um, and you're right. We buy the same list that everybody can buy. The problem with buying the list is hundreds and thousands of people can buy that same list. Yep. Um, even though you think that you've got this unknown thing that nobody knows about it, nine times out of 10, somebody else knows about it. Um, so we currently have five flips going on and I think we got 13 contracts this month and nine out of the nine out of those 18 deals all came from driving for dollars lists. Nice. Uh, I am still an avid, avid believer in getting into your city and finding the houses that you want to directly target. Um, you know, it's not, it's really hard to scale. It's really hard to do in 10 cities and, and mail 20,000 pieces of mail. You know, I think we average about 50,000 pieces right now a month is what we're sending. And, I can't do all that with driving for dollars. I wish I could, but I can't. And so uh, my if, if you're a newer investor and you're really getting started, I think you just put your feet 
in the ground, your car, whatever it is, and you just walk neighborhoods and look for homes. Um, you know, I when I first learned how to drive for dollars, it was, oh, you got to find the vacant, ugly home. I'm not a believer that the vacant, ugly home is necessarily the one that I'm looking for. Um, you know, I when I drive for dollars, I look for signs of um, uh, distress in an owner. So typically when, when people go through, um, you know, financial problems or, or personal problems, whatever's going on, you know, they start with not taking care of themselves. You know, they're not taking care of their cars, their house, their yard, different things. Um, because I believe one of the best, you know, avatars out right now is a, is a distressed owner occupant and not necessarily just a, uh, the, the vacant absentee owner. Absolutely. But, uh, and so when I drive for dollars, I look for stuff, um, multiple satellite dishes on the roof. I look for, um, I, I pay attention to the blinds, you know, see if they've got crinkled blinds in the corners, um, just stuff of no sense of ownership. And I don't care if there's people living in the house. I don't care if there are cars there. That doesn't phase me. Um, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking for any sense of, of distress um, that I would come up with. And, and so that's, that's my advice for list yep. um, list building. And and I completely agree with what you're talking about, like that customer avatar being. It, it, I prefer the owner occupant compared to the absentee owner. Um, the reason why is because there's a level of emotion that goes into the owner occupant that there's if, if there is any kind of distress, like either financial distress or physical distress on the property that's going on and they're inside that property, now you're solving a bigger problem for them. Then sometimes with that absentee owner, that could be like a, a, a failed rental property or they could even be what they consider a real estate investor themselves. And, yep. and sometimes it's a lot harder to deal with someone like that, that you're kind of going to them saying – Hey, I can solve your problem. And then they respond back to you like, yeah, dude, I do the same thing. Like I just got a bad property right now. Whereas yep. the owner occupant, it's like, oh, you're actually solving my problem. And so I've, I've definitely seen that the, the conversations just go a little bit smoother when it actually is the owner occupant. And, and some of those tips that you're talking about there, the multiple satellite dishes, the crinkled up blinds, those are, those are great tips right there because I mean, just when you said the multiple satellite dishes, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, yeah, that's the guy that, you know, couldn't pay his direct TV bill anymore. So he went to Dish Network, <laughs> you know, yep. so he could still watch his NFL Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's just you, you kind of have to put yourself in, in these different people's positions and try to kind of uh, build a bridge is what I call it. Like, find out what caused that actual distress on the property. So those are some really good tips. So let's talk about your team. So you're building all these property or these lists by driving for dollars as well as buying other lists. So yep. I'm assuming that's not you out there driving for dollars. What what does your team look like? So don't assume too much. I uh, I actively drive for dollars a lot. Um, look at that. My hey, hold on, I gotta stop you right there. For everybody yeah. that's listening, this guy flipped wholesale 300 houses in like the past two and a half years or two years. And he's out there driving for dollars. So if you're too big for your pants thinking that you don't need to drive for dollars anymore, there you go, sir. That, that right there should inspire someone to get off their ass and go drive for dollars. 
Yeah, I uh, my wife. So funny story. Um, we didn't have our our daughter. I think it was a week or two ago, and we were having a date night, and we we're gonna go see a movie, and we had like an hour and a half to kill before the movie. And I was like, "What do you want to go do?" Like we'd already had dinner. We kind of just were ahead of ahead of schedule. And I was like, "Do you want to go drive for dollars?" <laughs> and she and I keep a notebook in my truck. I just just old school notebook that you know I had in elementary school or whatever and I keep it in my truck and she knew where the notebook was she grabbed it and and for an hour you know on our date night we just drove through Charleston and popped in and out of neighborhoods and did it um the only so, thing that could have made that story better is if she had responded I love it when you talk dirty to me <laughs> and then grab the notebook <laughs> yep that'd have been it um but yeah so I I, I do drive. I, I, I'm active in, in Columbia. And so I always have a notebook. I never drive a neighborhood and don't write addresses down. Um, but as far as, as far as it right now, we have a really small team. Uh, we talked about it before we started, we've kind of scaled back to, there's just three of us now. Um, so it's either myself or Gene Martin, who's our acquisition kind of Jack of all trades guys kind of helping out everywhere uh, it's him or I that uh, that do all the driving for dollars. So okay, so let's let's break down that process for someone who's never driven for dollars. You go out, you have a notebook with you, you find a property and it's got 17 satellite dishes and crinkled up blinds. You write down the address. What are you doing from there to get in touch with the owner? So what we do, uh, my mom is a is a kind of a key component to this. So we give her our, every Tuesday we have our meetings. And so we give her our driving for dollars list on Tuesdays. And what she does is she puts all of our driving for dollars data on our Google drive sheet. And then we have a VA that does our scrubbing. Um, and by scrubbing, she goes to the county records. She looks for the mailing address for that particular um, particular house. And then she kind of builds our mailing list that we mail. And so then, then the second kind of component to that is we have a skip tracing column that if we kind of identify a house like, hey, you know, this house really is something that we're interested in. And it's more of, more of a gut intuition kind of feeling. There's no, we haven't set a parameters of if it looks like this, we're going to skip trace it because that's not in our core focus right now. Um, and so we have a little skip trace column and our VA will either skip trace it or um, get the mailing address. Okay. So you're going to be like episode 53, 54, somewhere around there. Okay. And, and you're probably like the 45th person that's brought up VAs. And I've actually started getting messages from people saying, Hey, y'all keep talking about these VAs. Where can I find a good VA? Do you have any tips for the listeners on where you've sourced VAs or how you can find a virtual assistant? So there's two ways, um, and it just depends on your personality type. Uh, if you're somebody like me who's going to procrastinate and have I have tons of ideas, and I'm like, I'm going to do this, and then then I'm, I look at the next idea, I'm going to do this. Um, I recommend hiring a company that can source your VAs <clears throat> because what it caused me to do was get off my ass and actually create the systems for the VAs because when I paid the down payment, to get them started and then we had a higher date there was no backing out at that point right and i was going to be paying that va starting may 5th and i was like 
oh, wait, I need to have videos and stuff for them to do. Um, and so that's kind of how I got started. And I have, so we currently have, I don't want to get wrong because I know, my, I know they're going to listen to this podcast. Hold on. <laughs> they, 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 we have a great team. Uh, you know, I think we have six now, six VAs um, that do our phones and everything else. And they're all from one company. Um, the company is called I've, I've, Ivis. Um, and so I've been a big fan of them. They tr- they're all trained. They're all trained in real estate investing. Um, they can do anything from answering your phone calls to data scrubbing to uh, skip tracing. Cold. I mean, they, they literally can do everything. Um, and so there's the first component is you can, you can outsource the hiring of it and training because that's kind of the hardest part is, you know, I can get a VA for a couple bucks an hour, but then they might not have any clue what real estate investing is. Right. And so then I'm going to, then I got to look at my time and say, all right, how much time am I going to have to train and beat my head against a wall to teach them different things where, you know, it did cost me a little bit more money to outsource it, but they came in ready to go. All I had to do is teach them HPN system. And right. so, um, so I have six of them. I have six that work that way. And I actually have one of the VAs who's actually kind of stepped up and she's, she runs like all my VAs now, you know, it wasn't even, I had no intention of that. And she just takes charge if she works on her days off. She makes sure that everybody's uh, answering their stuff and doing their own thing. And it's been really cool because she's taken a ton off my plate um, in that way. So, and then the second way to get a uh, VA is you can use stuff like Fiverr and Upwork. I think Upwork's the more popular way of doing Mm -hmm. it. Um, and then you can post job ads just like you would for anything else and they will apply to your job ads. And so we have one VA that way and she's our data scrubber. Like she doesn't want to talk to people. She doesn't want to get on the phone. She, all she wants to do is, 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 uh, data entry. And so, um, we basically, I posted, I did a job posting of what I was looking for. Uh, she replied And then I gave her a test. So I sent her a video and a spreadsheet. And I was like, hey, I need you to do these five things. And then basically they'll send it back to you. You want to double check and make sure that the work was done properly. And if it's done properly and you had a good interview with them, then you can hire from there. And Upwork takes care of the billing and paying and all that kind of stuff. Do you try to limit the amount of task that an individual VA does for you? Or do you kind of, is it kind of like a catch-all or do you say, okay, this VA is going to scrub list and that's all that VA is going to do for me? I prefer to keep, I'm a big proponent of stay in your lane and, and focus on what you're doing. I think the minute you start bouncing out of what you have to do, you lose focus and you lose the detail on what it is. Um, and so our VAs are strictly, they do what they were hired to do. So Darlene, she just does data scrubbing. That's it. Um, Neil, he, he runs all of our comps, sets up all of our appointment, like prepares us for our appointments um, and just spends countless time getting all of our research on our homes. And then we have our call team, which I have two inbound callers and two outbound callers. And so the inbound callers don't do outbound calls and the outbound callers don't do inbound calls. Nice. And so when those calls are coming in, they're setting appointments for you and kind of verifying that it's an actual motivated seller that's calling. Yes. And so they're, they, it, 
that's the hardest part because you are you're dealing with a little bit of a language barrier some of the words they don't understand um and and where i i see it is more in like sarcasm because i'm you know people call the phone people call you from your postcard and they're sarcastic right. or mean or whatever it is those are the ones that they have trouble with um but what we do is we we listen and we train and we role play on it and what we've noticed from may to starting to now you know august one uh we get fewer appointments but now our appointments are much more focused on motivation right. and and so it's it's in the beginning it sucked because i was doing a lot of appointments that i probably shouldn't have but I had to do those to teach our team how to weed those out. And so um, I actually had a call with Avi, who's our head VA yesterday, and she was telling me some stuff that they are, they're working on as a team, but I have not even taught her. And I was like, you know, that's, that's really good. Like, that's, this is kind of how I want to progress with you guys. So um, I think putting them in a good environment and, and giving them the ability to, to focus on one thing is really important. And if you're not familiar with what Brandon's talking about when he talks about the sarcasm on a phone call with <laughs> a seller, I'll share a story that happened to me recently. Um, I got a call, and, and it came through my phone, and I was in the car, but I was only a couple of minutes away from the office. And so I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm just a couple of minutes away from the office. If you can just tell me you know, a couple of things about the house. You know, what's the age of the property? You know, when was the last, you know, how old's the roof, the AC, the windows? And he's answering all this. And he kind of seemed a little bit snarky, but, you know, he was answering and we we're going along. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I get to the office, I pop open my laptop and I'm like, all right, man, what's, what's that address so I can look it up real quick? And I look it up and uh, the Zestimate on Zillow was $25 million. And uh, basically, this guy was just calling me because I sent somehow it, it filtered through the list and I mailed this gentleman a postcard saying, I'll make you a cash offer on your house. That's clearly worth tens of millions of dollars. And uh, he was just calling me to give me a hard time. And uh, I did try to get him as a private money lender. It did not work. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the sarcasm that Brandon's talking about sometimes with those motivated. Well, not motivated sellers. Yeah. So. So let's talk about, you said a, a big thing that's going on with your, your company right now is you're kind of focused on rental properties. So let's talk about that. What, what are you doing to acquire rental properties and why is that a focus for you? Yeah, so I got in I got in the real estate game for uh, long-term investments, you know, passive. I don't, I don't like using the word passive because, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's money, checks it's and stuff. not but, passive. but it's, it's not why. it's not it's not just this <laughs> passive income that you never have to think about but but it is it is a uh it is an income that is reliable that comes monthly where wholesaling and flipping you know you never you don't always know when the money's coming in and when the money's going out um and so that that was what i got into this about is is i'm a big family person i have a two-year-old now i am expecting my next child uh november 1st and I really want to enjoy time with them. I grew up in a, in a, in a family where I didn't see my parents. Um, they constantly worked two jobs or um, traveled or uh, traveled for work. Or then we owned a restaurant, which was a nightmare for 17 years, but it was fun. But, you know, I, I just grew up in an environment where I didn't get to spend time with my family. 
And so I want that to be different. I want to, I want to change that perspective in our life um, so that my daughter and whatever my next child is, you know, get to see me, I get to go to their events and do those kind of things. And I, the way for me to do that in my mind is through owning rentals. And so my business partner and I, this year, probably uh, maybe about four or five months ago, started, you know, really focusing on what do we have to do to buy rental properties? Um, you know, we know how to source them, but then you have to find the capital to do them. Then you have to do um, certain things to really kind of do it because it's not this quick. Yeah, you spent 50 grand, but then you can make 150, you know, whatever, six months right. down the road. So once you deploy the cash until you refinance it or pull it back out, if you do or don't, it's it's in that property. And so that was kind of our big focus. And it was what do we have to do to to do this? And so we've kind of set up a model now um, to where we wanted to, we're going to take a certain amount of homes and for every five homes, we're going to put them in buckets of five. And then basically for every five, we want to generate enough income on three of those five to purchase two rental properties. And so that's kind of our, our core focus is for every five that we do, the income produced in those three have enough to pay for two rentals. And then one of the rentals, one of the rentals we want to own free and clear and one of the rentals we want to have leveraged. So, um, so that's kind of our, our ambitious goal. And, and so basically by the end of 2019 is to have 200 rental properties. And, uh, and so we've lined up some capital, uh, we're working on some more private money now. We source the deals. I get great rentals in all my markets that I'm in right now. I get a lot of two percent all-in rentals that are in that aren't in D, D class neighborhoods. And so our idea is to stop wholesaling those properties and actually just start keeping them ourselves. That's awesome, man. I love everything that you just said. I'm gonna steal that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's what the game for this is, is. And so we have these really ambitious goals. I'm 31 and he's 41. And so by the time we're 36 and 46, like we want to, we want to have our income to a point to where we have replaced what we, we make now. And I'm going to go ahead and predict that you're going to buy a lot more in the next five years than what your goal is. Oh, that's, and I'm fine with that, but you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just kind of having that focus. It's finally, it's finally time to, to do what we meant to, we're meant to do. And that was to buy rentals. And that's what, right. um, you know, we sourced a ton of rentals for the hedge fund. We know how to buy rentals and how to analyze rentals. I know what I'm looking for in them. And so now it's time to stop making, you know, everybody else money on them and say, Hey, um, you know, I want uh, to keep it myself. And a good person that I've learned from as one of our investor fuel guys is Todd Murphy. Um, I think he's got, 115, 120 rentals, something like that on his own. And, and so he's, he's mentored me a lot on, you know, the goals, you know, getting that first one, getting it free and clear and then leveraging and using certain things and, and kind of moving in the right direction. Absolutely. So I know there's uh, something really cool that you do on Facebooks. I think, I think it's on Mondays yes. that you do a book review on Facebook live. Why don't you talk about, you know, a, why are you doing that? And why is it important to you? Yeah. So, uh, believe it or not, I'm actually not a fan of social media. Um, I do it cause I, I believe you have to in this, in this industry now. 
by the way, I'm going to sign up for your digital marketing stuff uh, probably next week. Um, but <laughs> it's it, on iTunes forever. Yep. Next week he's signing up. Uh, if I will. You don't, I'm going to hold you to the fire. <laughs> Sounds good. No, I've, uh, it's it's on my list. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. But um, but so I'm I'm not the biggest fan of social media. I I understand it. Um, what, the reason I don't like it is because I do get stuck in a hole sometimes, like a rabbit hole of just going down things. And uh, so I've I've outsourced a lot of my my social media to to other people who do it for me. But um, one of the things that I do personally is on Monday nights, I do a book review. And so 7.15 Eastern time, I do a Facebook live. And basically every month I review a new book. Um, I started it, you know, my goal, my kind of end goal, I think is I wanted to, I want to have a podcast one day. Um, but I don't really know what I want to do one on. And so, you know, I just, I figured a good way for me to get started was just kind of get in front of the microphone get in a live setting and just start talking to people. Um, and so I read a ton of books. I read 30 to 40 books a year. I'm, I'm constantly um, leaving for vacation tomorrow for a week. I'm bringing like six books with me because I'll, I'll just, I just, I really am passionate about reading. And so I figured I'm really passionate about reading. I'm already, I'm already reading a lot. Why don't I just talk about the books that I'm reading and also learn new books out there to, to, to be read, you know, cause being in the real estate space, I obviously read a ton of real estate books, a ton of business books, but they get old quickly. You get, you hear a lot of the same things a lot. And so, or you get kind of numb to the new ideas because you're, you're just kind of churning through them and not necessarily processing them. So it, it kind of gets me out of my box reading different books. So like, for instance, the book that I'm doing for the month of August is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And so it has nothing to do with real estate. It has nothing to do with business. It just has to do with, you know, what's the secrets to communicating with people, specifically your spouse? And, you know, what can you do to, to improve that relationship? Um, and I think that's something that you constantly need to be improving, you know, um, but then you can also turn it and say, how do I talk with people better? You know, how do I feel? How do I feel RJ's love tank? You know, does he like acts? Does he like <laughs> words of affirmation? Does he like, uh, you know, acts of duty, acts of service? Does he like, um, you know, being patted on the back? And so I kind of can also take it and learn how to talk to my friends and team, you know, team members, you know, because yeah. because I have people on my team like me. I'm I'm very brash. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You can just tell me what you want to tell me. And then it's over. We go on to the next one where some people I have to kind of like pat them on the back and, and, and guide them in a different direction and, and do different things. And so it's kind of twofold. It'll, it, you know, helps my personal relationship, but then also can help me uh, learn how to talk to other people better. Cause that's not necessarily one of my strengths. So here's my idea. Okay. You go start a podcast and your podcast is you interview the authors of these books that you've read and you discuss the impact that these books had on your life. That'd be pretty cool. With, with the author. That would be pretty cool. And I got to figure out how to get to the authors. Oh, that's fine, man. I, I get, I get badass real estate investors on here all the time, dude. I had a guy, Dale Hensel last week. I mean, he literally blew my mind. Uh, shout out, not, shout out to Dale Hensel on his interview a couple weeks ago, man. It, it was just, it blew my mind. I couldn't believe that this gentleman took the time to sit down and talk to me 
as he's telling me he's flipped skyscrapers and 300 non-performing notes a week. And I'm like, you're on my little tiny podcast. This is unbelievable. Yeah. So just don't put yourself in that box, man. Get out there. You, you get Gary Chapman. You want me to help you get him? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't think about uh, doing the authors. We have, I have brought some people on. I did something with Gary Harper um, on the five dysfunctions of a team. Um, yeah. And so I, I've thought about doing that. that that's a good idea. Um, because yeah. I enjoy reading. I, I mean, I constantly, I just got a new book in the mail today. Um, I read the same books a couple times. And then also a cool thing that I do with my book review is on the last Monday of each month, I give away the book to, to somebody who's tuning in that night. Um, cool. and so like Tyler Thompson, one of our investor fuel guys actually won unbeatable mine, uh, this Monday. So I sent it to yeah. him. And so that's kind of another cool piece is I, I make sure that people have the ability to get the books um, that I read so that they can also enjoy them as well. Awesome, buddy. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, you know, I, I think you shared some great tips on, you know, wholesale marketing, driving for dollars, getting VAs on your team and, you know, best of luck with, you know, you getting, achieving your five-year goal of getting those 200 rental properties. I, I think you're going to far exceed that. And uh, also, uh, best of luck with the new baby on its way. Thank you. And uh, guys, uh, I haven't talked about this much, but since Brandon brought it up, uh, Titanium Digital Marketing is a new company that we actually have out. Uh, a couple months ago, I had an episode with Gene Ginsberg about digital marketing and the after effects of that interview is we partnered up and created a new company. Um, it is a coaching program for how to utilize digital marketing to find motivated sellers for real estate investors. And we go into how to use Facebook ads, Google ads, um, retargeting, email marketing, um, all the different forms of digital marketing. Uh, Jean has been in digital marketing for 11 years and she's uh, got a best selling book. And I bring the knowledge of real estate investing and, you know, kind of the target audience that we're going after as far as motivated sellers. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, visit our website. It's rei.marketing. That's all you have to type in. There's no .com or anything like that, rei.marketing. So outside of that, guys, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Banks III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault.